Hi, my name is Dr. Kavan Sanger. I'm a practicing doctor of clinical psychology and I also have a PhD in neuroscience. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an actor. That's it. We're also a couple. And during the pandemic, we've spent far too long in each other's company, having interdisciplinary discussions and watching films. And like many couples stuck in an echo chamber, we've developed illusions of grandeur that our opinions are one, valid, and two, interesting to other people. (laughs) So we've decided to make them public, looking at films and their main protagonists through the lens of a psychologist and an actor. What motivates and drives their actions? What's film intending speak louder than words? And what things just really don't make that much sense? In our opinion, anyway. We'll leave that for you to decide. Hey, and welcome back. Hello. We're going to talk today about a very creepy film. Um, one that's been done, it was 2014 it was released. Fairly recent. Um, you know, we, we've talked about The Godfather and things like that, so this I get, is... I was going to say, yeah, in comparison <laughs> to some of the ones that we've done so far, it's quite recent. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to talk about The Babadook. So, I'll give you a, a little rundown on it then. The Babadook is about uh, a stressed single mother, Amelia, or Elise Davis, uh, who reads aloud to her boy, Samuel, played by Noah Wiseman, who every person apart from the woman sat right next to me is going to absolutely hate by the end of this film. By the end of the film? No. No, after about 10 minutes of the film, for oh, sure. well, yes, but then you love him at the oh, end. God, I had to watch it twice. I had to watch it. Anyway, well... well <laughs> He's a child... Um, I just... Um, I'm silent through disbelief. He's a child hero. <laughs> I am passionately pro. <laughs> so we've got one for the pro column. Yes. And one for the not-so-pro column. We would, we would like your, your responses on Instagram... <laughs> or our email, please tell us. Are you my WhatsApp? <laughs> Not your WhatsApp, you weirdo. <laughs> Are you pro or anti Samuel the hero child? I mean, if you call him the hero child, people are always going to go towards the. Oh, he must be good. I'm a psychologist. Yes, I'm going to prime people. Done. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop interrupting now. Carry on. Oh no, you got your point across. Right, very good. Uh, I can read you like a book, Sanger. Amelia is a widow following a traffic accident with her husband in the car, taking her to give birth to Samuel in the first place. So you have the whole setup of the film. You get to know the characters a little, like you know that Samuel's really annoying and that his mum's a bit oppressive. And then from nowhere, pretty much, Samuel discovers an, a really odd book in his bedroom called The Babadook. And honestly, how Amelia didn't know that it was there in the first place is... is Honestly, beyond me, but we'll come back to that. So it's a creepy pop-up book about a creature called the Babadook, a top-hatted, expressionistic-looking shadow who comes to your house uh, and will eat and scare you. So a perfect bedtime reading, I feel. After the vast majority of the book, only then does Amelia realise that this isn't the calming another letter to, to soothe your child and put him to sleep. So Amelia, following this, rips the book up, and when the book comes back with, with more pages written down, then she burns it. Babadook becomes more and more part of their lives as, as, as the film progresses, as Samuel has more problems at school, his mum at work, and it makes Amelia also cross the car. Uh, eventually it all comes to a head, and Amelia kills the dog and attempts to kill Samuel, but he reaches out to touch her face and she repents all her actions and begins to, to feel once more love for, for herself, 
for Samuel and for, for everyone around her. And the family is released from the curse. Ooh, of the I think that's interesting that you say that they are released from the curse of the Babadook. We might disagree on several points. I mean, for the curse of it being the, the bad. Okay, they live with. Yeah. Possibly. At, at the end then, on, on Samuel's birthday then, it shows that they've learned to deal with and live with the Babadook and the previous experiences they've had with it through feeding it, just relaxing and allowing themselves to be with every day. It's a lot of effort though, isn't it? Well, you need feeding three times a day. Yeah, but I get hungry. (laughs) (laughs) So just to warn you, some of the issues that we will be discussing today include bereavement, suggested violence between a mother and son, serious road traffic accidents, and dog murder. So I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that no dogs were harmed during the making of this film. But if you are an animal lover and you don't want to see that, then you might want to skip a scene quite near the end of the film. So yeah, I hope that this will be a fun and interesting discussion for you guys to get involved with. But if it isn't going to be helpful for you, then we will see you on the next episode. Take care. That was gorgeous. Okay, so uh, I guess I'll, I'll start off this week because I'm talking and therefore... You are talking. Are you also going to thank our apparent sponsor of English Tea <laughs> after that wonderful slurp? In fact, hang on, I've got my tea here too. Cheers, darling. Salut. To our <laughs> listener in Madrid. <laughs> or, or our listeners in Belgium, America... Shout out to my ex in Guatemala. (laughs) Um, Germany. Germany. Lots of people in the UK, which is cool. We've got my cousin (laughs) in Brazil. Um, And then quite a few around America, which is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. It's really nice to know that we're not just talking into a mic on our own, like we've had some little lockdown breakdown. I mean, that has happened also. That that we've we've. I think I'm on one breakdown per per lockdown. Mm-hmm. So so three yep. in total. What about you? I don't know. I have one big one. You did. Yeah, I just laid and stared at the ceiling for about four or five minutes. I did nothing. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. So, I've watched this film twice now, and um, I think on the first day, the first watching was. I didn't enjoy it that much, if I'm honest. This was me making you watch this one, really, because you don't like horror films generally, do you? No, I'm not not a massive fan. Like, obviously, I can I can appreciate them, They're, like in their own their own right. There's a there's a lot of skill and time and effort gone into a lot of horror films, and you know they they still reflect the time and and what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. in the same way that a lot of well, all art does. Not really for me, this one, I don't think. But when I watched it the second time, it was really sad watching it. Mm. Seeing the way that the, the the deterioration of the mother and the relationship between her and her son, between Amelia and, and Sam, went throughout the film. And yeah, I I don't want to admit it, but I, I kind of do see that you're 
your point of he's such a brave little lad is uh, on second watching I, I understand it more for sure oh that really that warms my heart actually thank you what that that you were right and I was wrong I mean that always <laughs> warms my heart but but more just the the fact that you were open enough to give it a second watch and yeah I, I think I'm willing to change maybe your view on it yeah when you watch it for a second time you watch it with a, a different eye don't you and you can really feel for for them both mm. in, in in every moment because the acting is superb like when Amelia, for example, is just sitting in the bath after crashing a car when she's talking to the doctor and like trying to get uh, some uh, some sedentary pills for, for Samuel mm-hmm. um, when she tells him to eat shit. These, these are really real moments that I think you can really tell through the acting and the performances of them both um, and the, director, the directorial choices just how much it means to, to everyone there in those moments. Mm, it's um, beautiful. The quality of the writing as well is... Superb. Early in the film, we can see how Amelia's job working in an elderly home is central to her character. The kindness in her heart, like the, the generous sort of flow of energy that gives us an instant connection to her, mm. um, which puts us firmly on her side. Watching it for the first time, you you very fervently on the mother's side, whereas actually watching it for the second time with the knowledge of everything that's going on, or uh, you might you might understand it the first time watching I, I didn't it becomes difficult to, to change allegiances almost mm. as, as, it, as the film progresses you mentioned that how like how powerful the writing is are there any I don't know is there is there any lines or particular bits of dialogue that you really enjoyed or you would enjoy delivering I eat shit obviously <laughs> telling a child that yeah because there's so much so much emotional material in in those those moments. And of course, the moments before and after as well. It's like it's gold to an actor mm. for what you can what you can do with that. Mm. Um, and it, because she's Amelia's just gone to bed, and then Sam's followed her, and is trying to get her attention again. And that's when she says eat shit, and then goes back to bed. If if she if it was eat shit, and then she immediately she realizes that she's done wrong there wouldn't quite be so much emotional material, but having a con- the conviction of saying it and then letting him leave, having a pause in the moment of like, right, okay, now I actually have to go and comfort my son because I still, I still love him. Mm. <laughs> like, this isn't just me going off on one. Mm. But I love that duality of person, the fact that you can 100% mean what you said, but also, no, I, but I also, I do love my son and I want him to be cared for I want him to feel loved and cared for like you can be both both of those things life is complicated yeah I think I think is what we're saying there yeah it's something I do with with some of my clients though is talk about um talk about a phrase like kick your butts right it's this idea that um we'll we'll put a but in a sentence which actually could be an and so for example I work in a pain service, so uh, it might be something like, I want to go to the shops, but I'm in pain. Could that be, I want to go to the shops, and I am in pain? Okay. So it's yeah. like freeing it up. It's not then suddenly like a brick wall. Yeah. It's It frees you up to kind of think a bit differently about it. So with something like this, I am angry and frustrated at my son, and I love him. Mm, it's amazing how the English language. I, I, I'm not sure exactly how how it 
transfers to other languages, but how just a small change like that can completely change the whole understanding and feeling of a sentence. Yeah, hugely. Yeah, lang- language is um, very powerful. It, it creates the way that we perceive the world. So I suppose, yeah, when you talk about writing and then I suppose I've picked on the dialogue bit of that, but so much of that, it does shape our reality. And I suppose when they write a film, they are shaping our reality through exactly every, every what is said. Moment, every moment is is carefully chosen, precisely chosen, and every word is... You have to pay so much attention to each individual word because it, it can give away so much about a character, and that's all you get as the actor as well. You just get a script. Mm. And right, okay, well, what do I do with this? Especially, especially for film, for TV and film, you don't get a lot of time for rehearsals. It's just... There we go, you get a script and you have to turn up with three ideas of how you're going to do it. And then you do do two of them and the director says, no, wrong. And you're like, right, okay, well, then the third. And then, okay, well, that one works. Right, okay. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> I might actually get another job here, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you talk about bold choices you make in auditions, I guess, which is the same then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you only have, like, the the, the size, the... the 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 scenes they they come through and that's it that's all you have you have maybe a little description about the character and then like six bits of dialogue and you have to make a whole person out of that mm. which is terrifying and it's also quite cool mm. yeah but yeah you do have to make those bold choices in the moment mm. but Samuel he he was six when they filmed so fair the the actor was six He's amazing. I hated him. I hate him so much. But that's why he's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unless he is actually just that much of a terror of a six-year-old. I hope not. Imagine what he'd be like on set. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Samuel doesn't have his juice box. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the characters and the performances from the actors are are so, so strong. And I, like, I think, for me, some are among some of the, the strongest in recent horror history. Um, but Davis was... So, uh, the woman that played um, Amelia was, was snubbed for Best Actress in a role in the Academy Awards. Really? That year, yeah. And my only thought process for it would be that it wasn't a, a gritty drama with a message. It was... It was because she was in a horror film. But otherwise, I think she was she was fantastic. She was so believable in every moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, a bit ridiculous. I think, I, I, don't, I don't know. I do get the impression that certain genres are more well-respected than others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this was a relatively, like, low-budget, unknown people film as well, right? Yeah, and considering, like, I think it was, like, 30,000... American dollars that she she made the uh, the short film with certainly mm. um, and then that transpired to to this obviously the bigger budget um, but yeah it wasn't super bankrolled or anything mm. not like certain certain films which weren't necessarily the best but were very critically acclaimed perhaps um, Avatar oh wasn't what I was thinking of oh okay where I went 
<laughs> yeah, but no matter what it was, I have to say that. <laughs> just work, Just watch Fern Gully. If you you, you want Avatar, watch Fern Gully or Pocahontas. Yeah, it's been done. But not with that cool CGI effects and things. That's so, when people want to see it. So Gorney Weaver, she was great. It's my one comment after the other comment. <laughs> and going back to the acting, Davis was. She really looked like the sensitive, loving person who's just. She can't. She can't cope with her emotions, and they've all been turned upside down with a lack of sleep. And then you've got this this extra ish, issue um, of of the Babadook. Whether it be real or whether it's invented in her head or or whatever, um, going down, you can really see it in her in her face and interactions. So yeah, good job. I do wonder if she has genuinely had experiences of insomnia, because she does that very well. Yeah, super super well. Just the way that it embodies you when you don't sleep for very long periods of time. And especially with that much unresolved grief, it's sort of you can tell by the the vacuum around her. I feel the vacuum of emotion, right? And energy. She's she's giving as much as she can, but she has, she has nothing more to give. Mm. Mm-hmm. But she's such a, a giving character. Yeah. In every other aspect, that it becomes yeah, it's sort of heart wrenching almost that she you can see that. Mm-hmm. And you know that she she wants to give more, but with that horror of a child, it's not the the his actions mm. make it very difficult for her in yeah. in her mind in that way. Yeah, we would we would phrase it challenging behaviour potentially. He has. <laughs> what has... do you mean potentially? <laughs> I think yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he displays challenging behaviour. Yeah, yeah, behaviour that challenges the people around everybody. Everyone else. Not to lose their mind. Yeah, because he has unmet needs. That's what I will say every single episode, I imagine. Unmet needs. This is where distress comes from. It's where the I, symptoms come but from. But you not also argue that the mother also has unmet needs? Oh, for sure. Like, like she, she, there's, a, there's a scene where she's in bed with, with a vibrator and then her son just jumps in. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God. oh, I feel so or, sorry or she, for her. She, oh, she's in the car looking at the couple that are kissing and mm. then they catch her and she's like, oh, no, look, look somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. She's lonely. She's got no outlet for her stress. No. Yeah. Yeah. You feel for... I think it's a really empathetic and sympathetically done film, actually. Maybe it's when you've watched it more than once, you get to see that more. Mm. But there's sympathy and empathy, I think, for every character. You can kind of always see their point of view in it. You might not agree with it, but you can see it. Yeah, like you think of uh, the next the neighbour, um, for example, the the old lady. She's wonderful. Yeah, like, she's the next door neighbour everyone should have. Yeah. Mm. And and her sister, she she wants to be there, but through through Samuel's actions constantly, it's, it becomes difficult for her to to still uphold, you know, her love for a child, and also have to deal with, have to keep Samuel around in that situation which makes it very difficult and he reaches a point where he like, pushes her out of a treehouse tree yeah yeah and I, I can understand like from a mum's position maybe she doesn't want her nephew around when 
he has brought a knife to school he does sort of have all these makeshift weapons and she's she's a little girl and she kind of wants a princess party you don't want a boy at those things at that age yeah but if, if it's the only outlet that he's got yeah that isn't his mum mm. you kind of have to keep him socializing with with them but that yeah that actually leads me quite nicely on to the next point that i've got is like so in uni we did uh we did something where we analyzed uh plays and we analysed a play called Monster by Duncan McMillan, which, funnily enough, the short film that this feature is based on is called Monster. Mm. Um, and it's also available on YouTube and things you, you can watch on there. Um, and it, it's you can see the basis for, for like quite a lot of the character. Like quite a lot like Whiplash. Mm. In that you can you could see where a lot of the ideas came from and how they've been developed for, for the feature. In this class, then we looked at the play Monster, like I said. But we asked the question, or we were asked the question, who is the monster in Monster? And it's something that I'm going to ask about this. Like, who is the, the monster in the Babadook? Is it society? Is it the Babadook itself? Is it the child or is it the mother? Mm. Because there's so many different possibilities in this. Mm-hmm. Because the child is acting up, but it's not. Like he's, a, he's undoubtedly a terror, uh, undoubtedly. But the mother pleads with the doctor to give the kids sedatives. She loves him very much, but she doesn't know how to soothe him properly because of all the, the trials and tribulations she has to go through. Um, he's obsessed with catapults mm-hmm. and things like you said, and, uh, and actually like stabs his mum. All right, yeah, it is, it is, there is a purpose behind it. It's a heroic gesture. He stabs the Babadook, not his mum. In his mind, that it is definitely the Babadook, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> I stand with Samuel. <laughs> In all things. In all things. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if we're looking at it from a, a size of point of view, um, it says that Sam should be a, a quite young thing, he's quite a young boy who gets on with all the other children around him. And he obviously, that doesn't happen. But we know you haven't always got to be nice to people that are around you no. I mean I'm sure we're not all nice to everybody that we come into contact with in general the group of young mums that are at Amelia's sister's house for her daughter's party they're not the easiest people to get along with no it seems it seems if you're if you're part of the group it's great but if you're not then we don't really want to have anything to do with you so yeah I'd imagine that would be quite difficult for Amelia to negotiate mm. and yes yeah, so that's the the social side of it so is that the issue and also Amelia's outburst at her sister Claire after the party sort of saying that um she's she's being punished and ostracized still for being the grieving widow when she's trying her utmost to be over it and she even says, like, I don't I don't talk about it. I don't talk about him. And for her, it, it feels like she's not been allowed to. So I, I think there is that almost the way she's seen it. Society has not let her be sad about this still. Yeah. But it, it's like society hasn't. But also, like, there are times and places if she, if she really wanted that she could search out to, to talk about it. But... Mm. I, I do take your point, for sure, for sure. 
Like when she's already so stressed and stretched when an incident at the school suggests that Samuel is a far more trouble than, than people initially think when he takes a weapon into school. That adds an, an extra stress on top of everything, mm. which could cause her to have even more difficulties than she already has, which is far away enough. Like, I, 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 I can... So the director and the, the scriptwriter, they use the first half of the film to, to lure us into the idea that we're watching a film about the possessed child with the strange acting out and being a bit crazy and the mum trying to deal with, with him as well as everything else going on. And then when the Babadook turns up, so it turns the tables a little bit. Mm. Who would you say, out of all the different aspects, would you say is the monster? Is it society? Is it the mother? Is it the kid? Who would you go with? Ooh. So my my take on it is I am watching this as a horror film. So I believe that, I do wholeheartedly believe the Babadook is a spirit. It's something which is haunting the family. So when I watch it and the way I interpret it, I kind of, I do take it at that level. But there's, I mean, if you look at mythology from all around the world, there's so many stories and myths about how unprocessed or repressed emotion and strife and difficulty, grief being, you know, a really great example of that, how that can open the door for evil spirits. So right. I, I think for me, I do look at it in that I think there's a, a very dangerous soup of a community that have not made it possible for her to open up about how Amelia is still struggling. She feels that she needs to look strong and do this all on her own. And that's she's going to be a, a creation of her upbringing in that way and her society so I think that's to blame I also think that yeah she has not noticed how much she's struggling um she's just had to keep going on and on and on she's fighting fires all the time she's not really noticing what's really going on so there is something there I'm not saying she's to blame as such but she's there's a lack of awareness about how how much she is struggling Mm -hmm. And I think that Samuel is a really troubled boy. So I, I think everyone's kind of playing a part, but it's almost that this level of distress because it's has severely heightened. It's very yeah, yeah. It, it's a really awful situation, but it's also it's a situation that that happens. You know, this I think that's this that's the good thing about a psychological thriller or a scary film is when you you can relate to the people in this and you can relate to the situation. Mm. And I think this actually is definitely something that probably a lot of people can relate to actually. Hopefully not all of the details, but I but it's definitely something you could see happening. In in, in, in some way, like I can imagine there's quite a lot of people, certainly over the last year, that have come into contact with not not necessarily th- this exact circumstance, of course, but something very similar where they've lost a family member, but there's they've, they've always relied on them for support and then they've had a, uh, mm. a new child come into the family. So, yeah, like I could imagine that it would be quite relatable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what do you do when you, you can't get that support from anywhere? You are trapped. Mm. 
So I, I, yeah, I do. I like to think of, no, this is, it's an evil spirit that has come into the house that they've now got to deal with on top of everything else. But actually in resolving the Babadook, you resolve the reason that he was able to come in in the first place for me. Cool. Okay. Mm. Mm. What what about you? (laughs) Oh, it's definitely the kid. Yeah? No. It's just, just, yeah, if he was shouting at me all that time, I'd just want to nut him. Um, I wouldn't. I think, yeah, on on one hand, it's a film. Um, so it's it's the Babadook is is the the villain, but actually, on on second viewing, it's it's not about a Babadook at all. It's not about a, a fictional creature coming into the house. It's about the mother's and the way that she deals with loss of her partner, of her like, support mm. in a really trying time. Like mm. I can't imagine losing losing a partner. Then at that moment, so I think yeah, it's 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 the mother's story about how she comes to terms with this thing which has been hovering over the family for the past six years. I have just realised we've done this film after also watching Shutter Island, so we've had quite a similar situation, but one from the father's perspective and then this one from the mother's. Two two different takes on that kind of domestic tragedy. Both kind of ended up with with a similar kind of ending, if she'd have been allowed to go through with it. Well, I suppose that they they both found their way of resolving it, and kind of being at peace with it, didn't they? Yeah, DiCaprio, his character sort of blanked it out, didn't he? I can't remember if it's the writer of the Babadook or if it was. I I actually tried to do a little bit of research on this. I think it was the writer who she said that. The writer is the director. I think it was... Oh, the writer and the director, the same yeah, person? Jennifer Kent. Oops. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe I didn't do quite as much research as I should have. It's not my area. I do the psychology bits. <laughs> um, but didn't she say that so much of the way that she writes, it's about looking and developing characters to become the hero of their own story as opposed to the victim? That's cool. Yeah, I thought it was a beautiful quote and it you know that there's something about the way that we do write our own stories and who do we want to be in that story. And I guess actually yeah, both of those main characters, both Leonardo DiCaprio and and then Amelia in in this film, they have found their way, I guess, to see themselves as the hero in their story. Mm. Very different ways. Would you say, as a psychologist, that it's more typical of a male way and more typical of a female way of, of dealing with it? Or would you just say it's a person? I'd say it's, it's a person thing. It, it's it's a person thing. It's that freedom of choice. And, you know, where do we where do we fall on that? But I do, I love in this film how by the end of the film, actually, she is learning such a wonderful way of modelling for her son how you work with difficulty and how you work with the darker sides of your emotions and your experience as a person who lives a life. And I think that's wonderful. For me, I think that's a really heroic thing, you know, to come through so much tragedy and be able to be that that model that it's okay and that we can be compassionate to those darker sides of us. 
and we can learn to be okay with them and live with them. We don't need to push them away, but we also don't need to be consumed by them. It's easy to say it, uh, that we need to be compassionate and not push those parts of us away, but it's, I'd assume it's difficult to do that. Oh, yeah. And often, <laughs> I, well, my job, I guess, is to help be a guide for people while they learn that and they go through probably those those difficulties and trips and falls while they learn that. But so often it's it's also a very lonely journey. And I think you see this in this film, most definitely. Mm. There were several points where no one could help Amelia. She shut them out. She was not able to access their help. Like, for example, when the neighbour came and knocked on the door when the Duke was very much possessing Amelia. And she just said, I know this is a difficult time of year for you and I want you to know I'm here for you and I love you and Samuel very much. And it's really such a beautiful moment, but she could not be open to support at that point. She wasn't able to do that. But Is that like you have to be at, you have to be at a certain point in order to do that? So support is, is worthless at certain stages I think always offer it because there will be a certain amount of the people know it's there and you can drip feed that and hopefully then if you keep offering then at some point the timing will be right because I suppose we've all just about to go to sleep and when you get a text and you're like he's messing you at this time of the night and it's that one friend that you knew was going through something a bit difficult a while ago but has now felt they're in a place in order to talk to you mm. and to get off your chest it, it's really nice in some ways and it's also like really really difficult as well when they, they do reach out and it's it's nice in the way that they, they've reached out but it becomes also like quite difficult for you to sort of negotiate that minefield then of like, right, how can I best support you? And you can see how Amelia's sister Claire struggles with that. She obviously, she tries and she's obviously like a tad embarrassed of her mm. and Samuel. Mm. But there's only so much that, that yes, yeah, she can do in there. I do feel mm. for her. Yeah. But I, th- I think um, I always think of uh, midlife crises as a really good example of this. There's this label and the stigma that a midlife crisis is a terrible thing and people roll their eyes and they see it as a bit of a weakness or like, mm. oh, they've, I don't know, they've decided to chuck everything away and change their whole life and they've just run away. Mm, maybe, but also it could be that they just really, wo- they've woken up to the fact that they've gone down a path for a really long time and it was the wrong one for them. And they're backtracking. And actually that can be seen as a very brave and courageous thing because again, something that you probably do have to do alone. And there's a certain amount of like personal integrity that they're trying to get to, but not everyone sees it that way. And again, that can be a, a very personal journey. And then you can start getting that support. Maybe people can understand over time. But yeah, yeah, there will probably be that lonely crisis time. But sometimes that's sometimes that's good too, because that's when we learn that oh my god, everything can go wrong, and I'm still here. I actually survived that. I'm strong enough, and that's an incredible thing to learn. Hard one. But a really important one, nonetheless, that I think everyone should get to that stage, whether it's through a crisis or whether it's through your upbringing or whatever. I think it's good. It's a healthy position to be in. Mm. It's eventually to be able to go, right, now. I can rely on myself. Mm. These are things that I want. These are things that I don't. And it, it takes you stepping back for a moment, like you said, and just being on your own and just trying to figure things out Mm. for you to do that 
Mm. But it's hard. Yeah. But then you can get to a point where you can open up again. It's like, I un- I understand that I am strong enough. Like, this is who I am. This is really who I am. And I can be comfortable with that. And now I can open up and I can kind of bring my whole person to other people's whole people. <laughs> As opposed to being half a person that I'm relying on others for. You know, that sounds like the optimum I'd like everyone to be able to get to. I feel like I've talked about a lot of my bits through our discussion just then. But I did want to kind of delve into our use of defence mechanisms and how you can see the different ways that the characters in this film try to defend against the difficult emotions of grief and loss. So you've got Amelia's character who is keeping busy with work. She is focusing on taking care of her son taking care of her neighbour. Focusing on everything else. Everything else. Everything else. Then you've got Samuel, who never knew his dad. So he's got the double whammy of grieving for a parent because he does know that he's different from other children and then his cousin kind of highlights that. But is it that he he has nothing to grieve for? Because this is what he's always known. I think some people think of it that way. And maybe for some people that's true. But we talked about is society the Babadook? Is this is society the, the baddie of this film? All of popular fiction is based around the nuclear family still. It's two parents. One is a mum, one is a dad. And then you've got the children. And then you may or may not have an extended family around that. When we talk about, an, you know, in West as a Westerner, watching this film with a western bias that's what Samuel will have grown up to think is the ideal and the norm and he knows that he doesn't fit in that especially when surrounded by things like all the suburban mums mm. that are all his auntie's friends mm-hmm. so for me yeah so he's got the double whammy of the loss of his father who he never knew and you can see how he's trying to explore getting to know his dad through through being down in the basement where he's not allowed to go and getting out his magic stuff and learning to be a magician. He's, he's taking on his father's mantle. That's what he's doing. And he's also grieving for the loss of his mother, really. She's emotionally quite absent. She's physically there. She takes care of him and he loves her. But emotionally, she's not completely available. And there is also a second loss for that. And you can see how he's defending against this fear that my dad left, because that's what happened. He left. My mum might leave. I need to make sure that she stays safe. So that's that's kind of why he builds all of these defences and makes sure that he is able to be big and strong and kind of the man of the house he he wants to keep his mum safe and he says that um, i will protect you how do you reckon that he'd be as an adult with it, that background if this film hadn't played out the way it did or do you mean with that with, with that it, with it playing out with that i'm pretty optimistic you, know, you said that he became the man of the house before he was well five or six hmm. that's a big responsibility yeah, yeah he'd be 
super close to his mum, I'd have thought. Yeah. I mean, I, he is. I, I, would, I, I would expect so. Um, but I think the... I think it's quite a heartwarming film, really. And the way that, you know, these, these characters really do love each other. They've just... They don't know how to navigate these difficult, painful, dark emotions and the complexity of love in a family actually as well the, you know as we were talking about this duality of person it's not all rosy and sort of disney happy families is it no but i i'd be quite optimistic that actually that his mum is learning to be okay with her darkness she's modeling that really well for her son She's allowing him to have a birthday. <laughs> um, so that's like his special day that he can have back. So he can learn that he is unique, he is special, he is loved. But yeah, I imagine he's had to take on a huge amount of responsibility from an early age. He's going he's gonna to grow up with maybe an older head on his shoulders than his peers will. And mm. he will always be different. I think there'll always be that question of, you know... What was my dad like? What kind of man am I? In the same way as, you know, many people who have absent fathers will. But a lot of them turn out just great people. Also, it sounds, I know you've got your views on social services, but they are present. They are checking. Are they? are still taking, they're still taking an interest. So they come back and he's having his, his birthday party. And yeah. I'd like to think that they will continue to check every now and then just to see not not forever, but to see how they're getting on because if there is support that they need going forward, great. My view on social services is more in Britain rather than in Australia. I have no idea about Australia. It might be very nice. Fair, fair point. Fair I, point. I have friends that work for social services. I'm not against everyone. That's fair. You're allowed your own bias too. I don't know. Don't have to go into it too much, but you had to take on a lot of responsibility in your household quite young too. You were about 10. Yeah. You turned out okay, I think. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I don't know how it affected me. Uh, honestly, I don't know. Mm. But I guess it, it's to say that we don't know how he's going to turn out. But I am optimistic. I think it's a heartwarming end to the film. And that they've learned to maybe work with difficult emotions and have learned to let go of some of those defences. You know, so mum is actually acknowledging, she she says the words, she says her husband died while he was driving me to the hospital to give birth to Sam. At the end, yeah. And she's able to say that in front of people she doesn't know that well. And she says it in front of Sam as well, which I think is great. It's kind of like, look, this is part of our family history. You own it. Yeah. You own it's, it. It's important to own, own things like that. Yeah, I I think at least. Yeah, so she's learning to let go of that defense of pushing against, and burying it, fighting against, and he's he's seeing his mum making these steps. Yeah, which is vitally important as a indication, as a demonstration to him of what he needs to do. Also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we're kids, we learn how to regulate emotions through through our caregivers. They teach us how to do it because we don't know how so she's yeah she's she's being able to teach him how to navigate those things now and she actually says i think it's really interesting so at the end of the film when they've 
banished the Babadook to the cellar, which is interesting that that's where all of the dad's things are. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful metaphor. Hmm. That's actually the first time that we've said that, also. Uh-huh. That, that it is a metaphor. I think most people can accept that it is. But the Babadook is 100% a beautiful metaphor for difficulty of coping with grief. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it's very well done. Such a clever film. Mm. But yeah, you see at the end where they're collecting worms and then Amelia goes down to the cellar to feed the Babadook because, as I kind of went on a bit of a rant about in Whiplash, (laughs) we need to be okay with our darkness. We need to be compassionate to all of ourselves, not just push away the difficult bits. Mm. But Sam even asks, you know, how was it? And she says that when you're a bit older, you can come with me. So again, it's sort of like, right, when you're older, yeah, I will show you how you do this. But also right now, I will do this. I am the parent. I can take care of you. You are allowed to be a kid. Also, that's his birthday. And you were saying it was important that mm-hmm. he, he he had his day. Mm-hmm. And that it, was, it was about him, not about anything else. He, he collected the worms in order to give it to her to, to yeah. feed the rubber duke. yeah. They're, they're cultivating this as a family. Such mm. a beautiful film. And I love how much of a hero he is throughout all of it. But, yeah, you can see in his defences there around, you know, I need to protect my mum because I can't bear her to leave as well. But he's such an emotionally intelligent child. The fact that he, he forgives his mum throughout for, for the Babadook not letting her love him I mean that could be argued that that's a coping mechanism as well if I put all the bad stuff on an evil spirit it's not my mum arguably but for me I do take this film as this difficulty allowed an evil spirit to come in and yes that is what's happened I mean, also like for him to be okay with her holding a knife mm. it's ridiculous not even remarkable it's ridiculous how he can do that he's so courageous I think I, I, for me that's that's a real show of love because I remember watching it for the first time and then him um, getting to the point where he tied his mum up and I was like oh my god he's gonna he's either gonna murder his mum or he's gonna shut the door and she's gonna slowly like starved to death while being possessed I was really terrified that that was going to be the end I was hoping it was going to be the second one really yeah yeah. what was it oh cool so, so he's going to keep it down there yeah and that'd be it. he just has to go down to feed her every now and then yeah I, I was kind of expecting that mm. kind of almost hoping as well so I was expecting as well but I think that's really cynical of me that that's what I expected whereas actually you've got this child who who was able to to then support his mum, and even when she was strangling him, stroked her face and said that he he loves her. It's amazing. And that was what finally gave her the strength to fight against it, and she pushed she pushed the Bubba Duke out of her. Honestly, darling, if you're if I wake up in the middle of the night and you're strangling me, yeah. I'm not gonna reach out and tell you I love you. I think that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair. I I don't think I'm as compassionate and as emotionally intelligent and and wise as that little boy. I'm not sure anyone is. 
No, I, th- I think it's very few. Mm. I mean, it could have gone terribly wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's what you'd expect, isn't it? He's like, right, she's gone so far. Mm-hmm. You're dead, little Sam. Yeah, Mama's gone. It's all Babadook at this point. Yeah, no, that was... Mama Baba. Ooh, that's terrifying. But it's an ultimate show of love, you know? Like, how many, how many people uh, in the throes of passion will say, I would die for you? He literally puts his life on the line. He means it. I'm not that brave, I don't think. No, you're on your own. (laughs) But it's wonderful. And I suppose that goes back to my argument about keep offering support. It's a lonely journey, but keep offering it because eventually there will be a time when people are ready to accept Mm. that love and help. And that was the moment. I'm glad it was. Yeah, pretty, pretty late on. Yeah, but that was that critical breaking point. Apparently it wasn't when she murdered the dog, which was... Yeah, she, she went pretty far down the road for the film to have its dramatic arc you need. She couldn't just let the dog go. No, but the animalistic way she chased after it, it was a very scary moment. But again, it, I think it taps into that. These are animalistic emotions. These are raw and also it's like she's possessed in that moment, isn't she? Yeah. So it's like part partly her, partly the Babadook is partly the demon. So that's mm-hmm. the animalistic nature of, of him, of the emotions, as you were saying. And that's the reason why it was like animalistic, which mm. I, I quite like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But again, I think that's good evidence of, do you know what? No, this wasn't uh, This wasn't an M. Night Shyamalan film. It wasn't a psychological twist at the end that it was, I don't know, the next door neighbour all along or something. There was actually an evil spirit that had been able to access this house because of the pain that was there. I think there are a lot of horrors which do end up in a very similar way to this. But I think the way that this one is done is what makes it a really good horror film. Mm. The artistic direction of it, like we were saying, the lighting in fact the whole house is shot in ways that there could be a Babadook behind every corner oh in every God. part of the room. Like mm-hmm. you, You're just expecting there to just like be a movement or something mm-hmm. throughout the whole film. And it's only at the end when it's lighter, brighter than, than any part of the film. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a, really, it's a more obvious way mm-hmm. of showing that, right, and you've been released. But it's another artistic directive point. Mm. Of how good the film is. Yeah. But it works as such a lovely metaphor for the way that they're managing the the distress in that house, you know? When you try and push away the darkness, it's still there. You can only push it so far away. It's almost like it's it's consuming the house, isn't it? Yeah. It's rotting the house. There's that moment where she hallucinates. And the bugs from out the wall. Mm. As you say, it's only right at the end where they've shone a light in the dark places the light comes back and you know of course you're gonna have the the creaking doors the the windows going the rain like yeah Mm -hmm. of course it's it's a horror film all the classics yeah unless you're unless you're in a film like midsummer for example which completely flips the idea of darkness being the the terrifying bit i hadn't thought about that in midsummer yeah that's true that is one of the things that that makes that film so weird that's why it was so like critically acclaimed at the time because it, it completely changed the way that people looked at horror films. Like light and dark. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. A little tidbit for you. Oh, L- thanks. Little takeaway. Yeah. It's like a little, a little two for one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, no, I, I, I love this film and I do love that sentiment of, um, we create our own stories and our own narrative and what do we want to be in our story? And I think both Amelia and Samuel become the heroes of their story by the end. But to become a hero, you've got to go through hardship. Otherwise, what have you been a hero about? I mean, they've gone through some pretty hard times. Oh my God, so many. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But we grow through difficulty. I also think the neighbour, she's very much a hero. She's got her own life story that we don't really hear. We hear tiny little bits about, but you do get the impression that she's a very wise woman. And she, she's got her own health issues. Yeah, like it, she picks some moments to, to come into the story. Mm. To have impact. Mm. Yeah, of, of all the bit roles, I think she's, she's the most important. I think she's another one of those moments that kind of allow Amelia to, to process her grief in the end. She does have these supportive people around her. She's also got the her male colleague at work. Yeah, but she doesn't get the opportunity to, to invest in that relationship. It's mm. it's always about Sam and about his needs and about her unmet needs mm. also. That she's defending against. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she's not, she doesn't get the opportunity to commit to that relationship, mm. which is sad. I was curious. He seems like a nice guy. You know? He does seem a nice guy. Not as attractive as her husband, though. I mean, obviously, he's he's no longer with them, but he was hot. So I can imagine that that's quite a lot to compare people to. And he was a magician. That's cool. Can we also just say the magic trick at the end? Outrageous. Yeah. Like. How? Yeah. For a six-year-old, se- sorry, seven. Um, unbelievable. Maybe that's the final twist was that he actually was possessed by the Babadook. And he's magic. Ah, so she got rid of it. But he didn't. Maybe. So he's just biding his time now. To become the world's greatest magician. (laughs) (laughs) With an amazing top hat and overcoat as the Babadook. I'm giver. (laughs) That's our alternative ending. (laughs) So, what would you change... I actually I didn't know the answer to this until we started this episode. So this oh, is good. hold on to your seats. Um, we were talking earlier about how powerful language is, and how that shapes the way that we see the world, the way we see ourselves, and how that's used in film writing, in directing. I would love to have seen this film if the point of view changed at various points from. Amelia's perspective to Sam's. I would be fascinated to see that. That would be cool. I don't know if it would. I don't know if it would work because you need, you need the central protagonist. I mean, like films do swap between several different ones. Like you think of like Seven, for example. Mm. It swaps between like lots of different protagonists whose stories like intertwine and traffic, for example. Mm. Like loads of different, um, loads of different stories. Two stories in the same one. I mean, it would be cracked and disjointed. I'm not sure if it would work in the same way to be a horror film like that, but... But it would be really cool to look at and try and explore. Right? So that's what I would change. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, I do like it. Mm, Thank you. I can be artistic too sometimes. (laughs) I can't, you know, then write that or direct that. Other people who are much cleverer could do that. But I can have some ideas. Yeah, Yeah. just more clever people. 
Yeah, I, I got both of my doctorates on the internet. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> she, she didn't. Oh God, I really no, didn't. I, I actually don't know. <laughs> I mean, you can you can see both my theses. They've been signed by real professors. So I really like the moment when she's sat in the bath and she stands up and lifts Samuel in, and it's like she's it's like she's dragging him down into the mire with her, mm. um, and it's really really cool like the artistic form and the way it's shot and the lighting of it all and I just wish that there was a couple more moments like that in the film I know it's a bit arty but that'd be super cool for me no it was a beautiful moment Mm. something so so simple simple there's not really any words in it you don't need words I don't think for moments like that no not at all not at all it speaks volumes just in its own yeah reminds the only other bit a bit like that is that moment near the end when she's essentially giving Samuel the moral justification of why she's about to kill him so that they can all be together as a family again and that's terrifying yeah I know I, I, I was like oh right no she, she's actually turned it, it's okay it's, oh my god no oh god it's awful yeah 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 again it's sort of this no I know best I'm mum come down here with me hmm terrifying Super well acted, though. Yeah. Brilliantly acted. Brilliantly directed. Why hasn't it got any nominations? There we are. Campaign. We'll get some retrospective awards for the Babadook. Absolutely. Well, then, did it again. Excellent. Mm. Well, thanks for joining us today. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool to be able to go on our RSS feed and, and see that people are actually listening to this. Yeah. Yeah, so, cool. All around the world. Yeah, thanks for the support. I hope that it's stimulating some heated discussion for other people. We would also love to be included in those. So if you have any thoughts or opinions, or share it with us. Go on our Instagram, send us emails. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.